This morning we start a new series on the book of Colossians, uh, Paul's letter uh, to the church in Colossae, um, and we are planning to do this study from today through May and finish uh, by the time school is up. Um, Brian is going to take several uh, sermons along the way and just take up a portion of Colossians, and we're excited to get to preach this together, uh, much as we did the series on the church in the fall uh, together. Uh, Our only break will be uh, Palm Sunday and Easter, just so you got the lay of the land here for the next uh, few months. And now that I said it, I have to do it. You know, I have to stick to that schedule, which is hard for me to do. So if you'll turn with me to Colossians, this morning we're going to read portions of Colossians because this is going to be uh, an introduction uh, to the ideas uh, in Colossians and hopefully a beginning to coax you and me into considering the, the, the fundamental theme of Colossians, which you see in your bulletin, this is going to be our title for all of the uh, series uh, filled in Christ, this beginning when no others needed, no others allowed. Okay, but this is taken from chapter two, uh, critical phrase for the whole of the book: filled in Christ. Uh, so, I'm going to read primarily. Uh, I mean, the, the whole book is about this, of course, the whole letter, but some focal uh, points, uh, verses that really zero in on this aspect of the fullness of Christ, who He is, and what He's accomplished for us. So if you can't find it, you can find it in the Pew Bible on page 983. 983. It's a little bitty book, so it's it's hard to find. So beginning in chapter 1, let's read verses 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So the deliverance for the domain of darkness. And see how this is related to the fact that He is the creator of all opposing power in this next section, beginning with verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him are all things uh, by him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities all things were created through him and for him and he is before all things and in him all things hold together those verses about creation and now the new creation verse 18 And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And notice Paul's emphasis or desire to make everyone complete and full, enriched in Christ, beginning with verse 28 of that chapter. Him we proclaim, 
There's the essence of the gospel. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature, or the word could be complete or perfect in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So the centerpiece of Christ in Paul's work. Turn please then to the next page, if you're in the Pew Bible, uh, to chapter 2, verse 8. And we get a little of the edge of the opposition that the Colossians are facing. And Paul's speaking to that. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him. There's our phrase. You have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. There again, that emphasis on the head, ownership of all rule and authority. And then to drop down a few verses to verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands... This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So you see that he's the creator of all power. He then, in his redemption, has conquered all power for the sake of his people. This is a strong emphasis in Colossians. Everything is in Christ and you are filled in him. You get a little, another idea, beginning with just verses 16 and 17 that just follow. Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. See his emphasis. Don't, don't get taken up with these things. The substance is in Christ. And even looking to the future in chapter 3, verse 1, If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated. Uh, Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. So the whole orientation of our life is Christ. And to the future, we look to that time when Christ will come. And then just a few verses more down in chapter 3, verse 15. Just notice, the uh, again, to be enriched with the different gifts and graces of Christ. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or do, uh, indeed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Well, let's pray as we seek to introduce this great letter of Paul's. Lord, uh, Open up our hearts as we pray again and again that we may 
see more of Christ, that we may be enriched, that as the disciples on the road to Emmaus said, our hearts were burning within us as he spoke to us. Lord, you alone by your spirit can speak to us in this way to cause our hearts to to burn after you, to to be uh, enlightened and, and brought to more and more life because of the glory of Jesus that breaks out into our hearts. We would seek his glory, Lord, and thus seek your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, having just come off uh, the Christmas season, one of the most common things you hear, at least among believers, is that Jesus is the reason for the season. And I'm tired of that phrase, you know, just because, although as truthful as I think it is, you know, it's just, you hear it so much. But I, I want to up the ante a bit and underscore what I think Paul is getting at in Colossians, really what he gets at in all of his proclamation uh, that we have in the New Testament. And that is that Jesus is the reason for every single thing, okay? Not just this season that he's the reason, all right? He's the reason for every single thing that we do or think or say. And we're going to say he's the reason for history itself. This is just a little introduction to this theme of Colossians, that everything is found in Christ. Everything is related to Christ. And we must be careful that we have no opponents, no alternatives, uh, no uh, substitutes for Christ. He's the reason, first of all, for everything in our life, as we just read, whatever you do, word and deed, and of course this takes in everything you are as a human being, you do it in his name, in relationship to who Christ is. Paul can say in 2 Corinthians 5.14, the love of Christ governs me. It governs everything. It is what controls me and drives me and motivates me, moves me. It's Christ's love. Or as he could say in Philippians chapter 3, I count everything as loss for the sake of having Christ and knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Everything else is refuse (laughs) that I may have him. And he's speaking in particular of the ways that he approached God before that. But it's a comprehensive statement. Anything that would stand in the way, anything that would oppose him, I cast it aside to have him. Earlier, in just a few books earlier in in Galatians chapter 6, Paul can have another comprehensive statement about Christ. He says, Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the whole dependence, meaning, foundation of my life is the cross of Jesus Christ. And so his comprehensive prayer in Ephesians 3 is that we might know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Everything for the Spirit to work in us as a body to pursue this one end, that we would know this love of Christ. Paul can say in Galatians 2.20, for me to live, or in in Philippians, for me to live is Christ. (laughs) That's it. See, this intense center point of Christ in all that he is and all that he does. 
He says in Galatians 2, I live by faith in this Son of God in all that I do. And in Romans 14, he says, whether we live, whether we die, we are the Lord's and we live to please Him. He defines our life completely. And so Paul can summarize the whole of what he's seeking to do for the people of God as he says here in Colossians, to make them complete in Christ. Or, as he says in Galatians 4, I labor until Christ is formed in you. So, the reason for the season, he's the reason for every breath I take. He's the centerpiece of everything that I do. And, and this is just, obviously, a smattering of the, Old, of, of the New Testament's uh, statements about the Lord Jesus Christ. But he's also, as we've seen here, not just our daily life, but he's our whole hope for the future. As Paul says there in chapter 3, verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will appear with him in glory. Or as in the letter right before that in Philippians 3.20, he says, we await this Savior who's coming from heaven for us where our citizenship is. And when he comes, he's going to transform our bodies to be just like his body. And he says, we're eagerly awaiting that. And many times, like in uh, 1 Corinthians 1, he describes them as just waiting for the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just as Jacob was praying in a way that really expresses that Lord, we're waiting for you. We hope it's today. We hope it's now. This is, this is the very expression of the New Testament. Come now, Lord Jesus. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Be with us today, Lord Jesus. We're waiting. We're waiting. We're not waiting on some general thing in the future. We're not waiting for America ultimately to become a Christian nation. You know, big hope for that. We're waiting for the Lord Jesus. We're waiting ultimately for him, whatever else may or may not happen to this country or any other country, all of which we pray for the abounding of the gospel in our day. But we ultimately are waiting for the Lord Jesus, his appearance. That's the way he describes it to the Thessalonians. You uh, turn from God, to, uh, from idols to serve the living and true God, to wait for his son from heaven. And it's interesting that the day of the Lord in the Old Testament, speaking of any time God enters into history and it previews his final entering into history to change all things, it's called the day of the Lord over and over. I love this. There's a little added word in, uh, to this in 1 Corinthians 5, uh, 1 Corinthians 5, 5, the day of the Lord Jesus. <laughs> to take that phrase of the entrance of Yahweh into history. And then he says, now it's the day of the Lord Jesus. Or earlier in that book in 1 Corinthians 1, the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So everything about us, it's interesting how in Antioch uh, it says when there were a number of Gentiles, one of the places where Gentiles were converted in large scale and it became the uh, mission point to send Paul and Barnabas to the whole Mediterranean basin. But it says there's where they were first called, and I like the way uh, a singer put it years ago, Christians. 
He put it as though they were mocking them. You're Christians, Christians. But that's always affected me because you kind of lose Christ in Christian, you know. (laughs) But that's what you are, a Christian. Everything in your life called ultimately, as Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 2, to gain the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and called in this life as he also says in that book, so that the name of the Lord Jesus would be glorified in you. Jesus is everything to us now and in the future. He's everything in the Old Testament. It's already been alluded to in our our worship. But Jesus can say in John 5, 39, you search the scriptures to find eternal life, and they speak of me. I'm the theme of the Old Testament. I'm what it was all about. And on the road to Emmaus, uh, he tells the uh, two disciples there, it says he started with Moses and goes through all the prophets to speak of the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. And then later in that chapter, he speaks of all the things about me, then the law of Moses and in the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. It said then he opened their minds to understand the scripture. Obviously, opened their minds to understand the real meaning of the scripture. And so our little children's book says, every story whispers his name. And so in your search, even in the Old Testament, you're always asking that question, how does this relate to the Lord Jesus? How does this prepare for Him? How does this contrast with Him? How does this foreshadow Him? How does this lead to Him? All of the Old Testament is leading to and preparing for the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can say this, it's not just that the Old Testament was this great story and then here's this added on story that makes it even better. There would be no Old Testament without Jesus. You understand that? There would be no Abraham, uh, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph. There would be none of that. There would be no deliverance out of Egypt. There would be no people of Israel. There would be nothing if it weren't for Christ. He's the whole point of everything in the Old Testament. He's certainly the whole point of the New Testament as well. And so that's what makes the whole of Scripture this rescue romance, right? This romance of rescue beginning as early as chapter 3 in Genesis of our turning away from God and then God beginning to act to restore us to Himself at the absolute expense of His own suffering. That's the whole Bible. And Christ is the point of that. He's the one who suffers. He is God come into the flesh. As we said at New Members this weekend, the basic story of the Bible is kill the dragon, get the girl. Right? Kill the dragon of Satan and sin and death and judgment and get the girl, the church, and bring her and live with her forever. Christ is everything in the whole of the story. There is no story apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what makes it such a glorious religion. 
and overshadowing and, and showing the, I would say, even evil of all other religions because here alone is a religion in which God sacrifices Himself for His people. If we take that away, we take away God. There is no God but the sacrificing God. That's what the Old Testament is about. That's why Paul is pressing into this in Colossians because one thing we know about this, the heresies or the, the false teaching that they were facing is it had a strong Jewish base, which would be to reject Christ as unnecessary, to return to the things of the Old Testament and act like everything's okay. And emphatically... Paul says, no, all fullness, only fullness is in Christ. And the very meaning of these things, as he spoke of the festivals and the new moon and Sabbath, these are just shadows. The substance is Christ. And if you miss the substance, you have nothing whatsoever. And so we, I've used this illustration before, but if you have a small opening to a cave and you can kind of see the stalagmites and stalactites, that's kind of the picture of the Old Testament. And then when we break in the new, the cave opening is, is gigantically increased and then light floods in and you're just stunned with the beauty of all the structure that was there all along. That's what the New Testament is, shining back into the old to give us the glory and beauty that was there all along as it previewed the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's anticipated from the start. We get glimpses and tastes and pictures and preparations and previews of him. Paul says in Galatians 3.24 that the law is a tutor that takes us and brings us to Christ. And you can kind of picture it this way, that... Sadly, by and large, though there was a, a certainly a remnant, and they even became leaders in the church of Jews, the Jews took their hand out of the law, pulled away from it, and ran into the busy street to be destroyed. But the law, the whole Old Testament, was holding them by the hand to bring them to Jesus. They pulled their hand away from it, abandoned really the ultimate meaning of the law. To turn away from Christ. Christ is the whole of Old and New Testament. And of course in the New Testament proclamation. uh, As Paul describes. Many times he just calls it the gospel. But a lot of times he describes it as the gospel of Christ. Which means the gospel about Christ. The gospel that proclaims Christ. And he makes this explicit in places like 1 Corinthians where he'll say the gospel is the word of the cross. Or he'll say we preach the gospel. Then he'll say we preach Christ crucified. Or sometimes he'll just say we preach Christ. Or Jesus Christ and him crucified. These are all terms. Or as he describes it so beautifully in 2 Corinthians 4... Uh, that the glory, the gospel of the glory of Christ. There you have it. The gospel of the glory of Christ. Or one of my favorite phrases in Ephesians 3.8, he says, God called me by his kindness and grace to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. There you have it. The crucifixion. And of course, 1 Corinthians 15 talks about the cross 
and the resurrection of Christ. And each of these is kind of a shorthand. When he talks about Christ crucified, he always understood, understands this to be the crucified and resurrected Christ. As he makes clear in 1 Corinthians 15 where he says, if he's not raised from the dead, forget it. There's no point in anything if he's not raised. So for Paul, shorthand, crucified is resurrected. We, we celebrate this supper which focuses on his death, not to the exclusion of his resurrection, but because of his resurrection, we can celebrate on the accomplishment of his death. And so the gospel, again and again, it's Christ, it's Christ, it's Christ. His riches, His glory. It's described by Paul in 2 Corinthians 2 as an aroma, as the fragrance of Christ that rises up to God as we speak of Him. Isn't that beautiful? That really in one sense there's this one glorious sweet aroma in this world. You think, where is that? What, what is that? Oh, that's the church living out the beauty of Christ, proclaiming the beauty of Christ. It's the one sweet aroma in this world that can transform this world. And so we have to ask this question as Paul, and here's, the, here's what the Colossians were faced. Here's Christ, centerpiece of our life, centerpiece of our future, centerpiece of creation, of, of the Bible. And we might add and just touch on this, he's the centerpiece of history itself. Because he says that he, in chapter 1, verse 20, he will reconcile all things to himself. Or in Ephesians 1.10, all things will be summed up in Christ. He is the whole meaning and point of history. I would say to you, there wouldn't be an earth apart from Christ. There wouldn't be a world. There wouldn't be creation apart from Christ. He is the whole point of creation so that in Him, God might fully and most completely reveal who He is as God to this world. And all things will be summed up in him. He will reconcile all things to himself. And as Paul says here in Colossians, everything is done so that he, in everything, he might be preeminent. In everything, (laughs) in all of history, in all of life, he might be preeminent. So in our personal lives and future, in in the Old Testament, the New Testament proclamation, in history itself, Christ is preeminent. He is everything. So that in that final day, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's where history is headed. So to ignore, to displace Christ, to find alternatives to Christ, to water down in any way this intense focus upon Christ, is to reject God himself. It's, it's to jump into unreality. It's to abandon truth and hope. And I want to give you this illustration to think about because I think one of the difficulties that we have in the Christian life is connecting everything that Christ is to all parts of our lives. And one of the problems or issues with this is what I'm going to call ditch theology. 
Okay? Ditch theology. It's a new invention. I'll come out with my book next month. Um, <laughs> imagine that your husband comes to you, to you, or your daddy comes to you, and he tells the family, I've got a plan for our vacations from now on for the next 20 years. What is it going to be? What, I've got it all laid out. Every year, we're going to take two weeks and we're going to set up tents at the ditch that's down the street. You remember that ditch where we all play that has no water in it anymore? It kind of stinks and everything. We're going to set up tents and we're going to go to that ditch every year for the rest of our life. What would that be like, right? Versus hearing this, that you get to go on a vacation, five-year vacation, that encompasses literally the whole earth, okay? And it's going to be a vacation in which you explore all the wonders of creation. You get to see where uh, whales populate. You get to go see the penguins in Antarctica. You get to uh, visit the lemurs in Madagascar. You get to see the snow leopard in A. You know, you, you get to see all of animal creation to an extent that would boggle your mind. You get to see the topography of this world, mountains and rivers and, and uh, savannas and waterfalls and glaciers. And then you get to see all the culture of the earth from the most magnificent cities and beautiful arts and accomplishments to those little villages on the banks of the Mediterranean Sea. I would tell you that for many of us, sadly, the thought of exploring Christ from now on to all of our lives sounds more like going to that ditch every day than it sounds like exploring the whole of creation. It's one of our issues to think, you know, things like, I know that, I got that, heard about Jesus, been there, done that, looking for something more, looking for something deeper. And to use Lewis's quote that we're very familiar with, that we are making mud pies and we don't know what they speak of when they talk about a vacation in the sea. And that's kind of the idea that can't conceive what this vacation in the sea of a lifetime of searching out the riches of Christ would be. But I would reverse that and say, we really think we're at the sea and we hear of Christ and that sounds like mud pies. And so one of the great challenges in this study, one of the great challenges of us in coming to Colossians, which holds forth the fullness of Jesus Christ for his people against all opponents and against any substitutes, is that we connect ourselves and embrace this the full richness of Christ, that we understand what does it mean that I am filled in Christ? What does it mean to bring all that Christ is to bear on my daily life so that I live in the fullness of Christ? What does it mean and is there this capacity to explore Christ day after day after day after day and to be enriched for the rest of my life in Him? That's one of the great challenges, I think, of this letter. 
I don't have time. I wanted to at least mention the fact that there are, the, but I'll just mention the categories. I think in Colossians there are alternatives that that would uh, thrill us. Or that is, Christ is not enough to thrill us. And then the other half of this that we'll explore in Colossians, Christ is not enough to protect us. And I would say those are both dangers for us. He's not enough to thrill me. He's not enough to protect me. Either one of those will put you in bondage to something, someone else, other than Jesus Christ. So, as a... uh, I even mentioned stuff like Jabez's prayer, which we'll get into it. (laughs) How Jabez's prayer can get you off track uh, from Jesus Christ. But I want to end with... uh, just this thought about irrigation, okay? How do I connect what Christ has done to every aspect of my life? And I give you the uh, picture of uh, something like the Nile River, which, as you know, it, uh, it's weird when you're looking at the map because it looks like the river's going up, you know, and you think, well, the Nile has to be going down because you're looking at the map that way, of course. But it comes from... Uh, deep in Africa where there's tons of rain and it flows up and empties into the Mediterranean. And as most of you know, for thousands of years, the Egyptians have used the river to irrigate what would otherwise be very dry area for, for their crops. But they're bring, it's this water that's brought from a long way off, that's fallen a long way off, and it comes right through your land and, of course, they've found uh, many wonderful ways through dams and uh, canals to uh, irrigate their crops. And I would give you this as a symbol, as a, as a metaphor for yourself, to bring the river of Christ into your field, to constantly uh, study and explore and discover Christ, to meditate on Him and admire Him and value Him, to adore Him and embrace Him and believe Him and entrust yourself to Him and to bring your sins and struggles to Him so that you would be richly refreshed and watered by the full glory of Jesus Christ. And it is an unlimited, glorious stream. One commentator has put it this way, Christ has brought a flood that will ultimately flood and redeem the whole of the earth. And I think of that phrase in uh, Joy to the World. He makes his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. But this commentator says, the flood has begun in us. And that's why we have this phrase, filled in Christ. Now, (laughs) you've been filled in Christ. You have everything now in Christ. That is the glory that we want to discover. What does that mean for my life? What does it mean that I'm irrigated by this glory and beauty of Christ right now? And unlike the Nile, which is a a place of, of conflict because these early treaties had Sudan and Egypt the sole users of the Nile. Of course, this cahoots with Great Britain for some of this. Um, and, and more recently, some of the uh, countries upriver have declared that they as well have rights to this river. And so Ethiopia is building the largest hydroelectric dam in all of Africa. 
14th or 15th in the world in terms of size. And uh, kind of a comic note, uh, there was a meeting in Egypt where they had, were devising ways that they might destroy that dam, even supporting anti-government terrorists against Ethiopia. Uh, oops, it was televised. You know, <laughs> don't you hate it when you're trying to pull off something and it's televised? You know, that's not a good thing. Um, so they come out and say, you know, well, we don't really mean that. We're going to work for peace. But still, leaders say, we're not going to let anybody take our water away from us. Well, Ethiopia's trying to show that we're not taking your water away from us. Why do I bring this up? Brothers and sisters, there's no limits to this river. This river is abundant and rich, and it's abundant and rich for each one of you. It can never be exhausted by any of us or all of us. In fact, as as John says in 1 John uh, 1, verse 4, as he's inviting others to enjoy this rich fellowship with God, he says, we, we tell you this so that our joy would be full. It's not decreased by sharing, it's increased. It's like as though the river gets bigger the more people drink from it. And it gets bigger for me the more I share it with others. And I'll leave you with that Amazing picture that is given in Jeremiah chapter 2. When he says, Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. Speaking of Israel changing its gods. My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Two evils. Abandoning this unlimited cistern, bursting forth with cold, beautiful, clean water to go dig for yourself uh, this fountain to dig a cistern that can hold no water. And I think of the uh, direct TV commercial here. Uh, where he says, you're in cable, you know, and he says, you're, you're working with cable and you're going to feel trapped by cable. But when you feel trapped, you want to go and become free. And when you go and become free, you do something like hang gliding. And when you go and hang glide to be free, you run into power lines. And when you run into power lines, you cause the grid to go out. And when the grid goes out, crime goes up. And when crime goes up, your dad gets punched in the stomach to get a, for somebody to get a can of soup when they show his dad getting punched in the stomach. Don't let your dad get punched in the stomach. Get direct TV, right? That's the point of it. Well, in this scenario, you could say, don't let your eyes be plucked out by vultures in your dried up body. Trust in the Lord. <laughs> you see, the, the amaz- and this is true, this isn't make-believe, the unending destruction of abandoning the true fountain of living waters. That's what Colossians is about. It's, it's finding all fullness and richness in Christ and seeing that none other can substitute for Him. Let us pray. <clears throat> oh Lord.
How we thank you for the rich gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. How we thank you, Lord, that in giving your Son, you gave us yourself. As he said, he who sees me has seen the Father. We see the Father's love in Christ. We see the Father's own desire to do us good. The Father's own desire to rescue us from sin. The Father's own willingness expressed in His Son's willingness to die. There's a picture of the Father. The perfect love of the Father is shown in Christ. Oh Lord, we honor You that You are this kind of God. This God who would rescue His people at the expense of His own infinite suffering. We rejoice in You that this story, that we are caught up in this great romance that you have killed the dragon, that you are winning us for yourself and you claim us for yourself and nothing will separate us from your love. And as you said to your disciples, I prepare a place for you and I will come and fetch you to myself and you will remake the whole earth to be this new place without sin and sorrow for the sake of your people. Lord, break open our hearts to rejoice in you, break open our hearts to trust in you, to give ourselves up to you, our glorious Lord Jesus. Amen.